So we have a rule in the Popovitz house. No lights, no trees, no music until after Thanksgiving. Of course, we're talking about Christmas lights, Christmas trees, and Christmas music. Now, I know that there's a hot debate about this, about when can you start celebrating Christmas. But I want you to hear this. I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> I think I have the Lord on my side in this. You remember the cold snap we went through a couple weeks ago? Where it was unseasonably, unnaturally cold for Houston at this time of year? Yeah, all of you who put up your trees before Halloween, that was God's judgment on you. We wait until after Thanksgiving. But now that it's after Thanksgiving and the Advent season has started, the decorations are up, the lights are on at our house, and I'm sure yours as well. Uh, my favorite part of decorating is the lights. I love the lights. Uh, but personally, I, I long for the old days when we had lights that were 1,000 watts and can burn a hole in your windbreaker if you stood too close to the Christmas tree. Remember those lights? They were gigantic and multicolored. None of this low-voltage LED nonsense. These things were a fire hazard, and we hung them everywhere. For me, when the lights turn on and the decorations go up, there is, there is some comfort and joy that stirs in my heart. And I love, as a dad, to say to the kids, hey, kids, pile in the car, and let's go look at the lights where all the rich people live. <laughs> I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, I, I think it's because, I think it's because what the decorations, and particularly the lights, the lights, what, what they represent for us, not just represent the, the Christmas season, but, but for people of faith, for, for theologically minded people, faith-filled people, uh, what the lights represent, what they should represent for us is, is this, they should represent hope. When you, when you shine a light in the darkness, you're making a declaration of hope. Wait, did you know that? I mean, that's, that's what we're anticipating at Advent. That's what we're receiving at Christmas is this promise that Jesus Christ has come into this dark world and he brings with him all the light that we need. Not only that, but that he's coming back and whatever darkness still lingers, still remains, is going to be eradicated at his return. And, and when we shine a light in the darkness, what we're saying is we believe in and we hold to that truth that there is hope, that the light has come and the light will come again. And he will bring forgiveness into the darkness of our sin. He will bring life into the darkness of our death. And he brings, he brings mercy into the darkness of our shame. He brings peace into the darkness of our war. He brings calm into the darkness of our anxiety. When people of faith shine a light in the darkness, we are joining with the legacy of believers who have sang the words of this, of this old Advent hymn that goes like this. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Which means what? God is with us. We shine a light in the darkness. And you thought you were just putting an inflatable Santa in your front yard. Today I want to talk about what it means to shine a light in the darkness. Really what I want to talk about is, is one of the particular hopes that we receive at Christmas, that we anticipate at Advent. Um, the, the light that shines into our darkness that I want to talk about today, the, one of the many hopes that we have in Jesus is this, that God is at work in our wounds. That God is at work 
in our woundedness, in our difficulties, in our struggles, that indeed he's, he's shining a hopeful light into those difficult moments, and then for people of faith, he shines a bright light into the world out of those difficult moments. He is at work in our wounds. And, and we see this truth all over the scriptures, but today we're going to look at it in the story of the birth of John the Baptist. I mean, it's safe to say that Elizabeth and Zechariah were longing for a child. We know from their story that they had been praying and praying for years, but, but to no avail. They were, they were now late in their years when we first meet them, and yet still without a child. Now, this is what Luke tells us. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Pause right there. What, what Luke is telling us is that these are very holy people. They're holy people. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were genuinely earnest and good people of faith. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were now advanced in years. In other words, Elizabeth and Zechariah were good, faith-filled people. They were people who did all the right things, thought all the right things, lived in all the right ways, and yet they were, throughout their entire life, being denied the simple, beautiful ask to have a child, to build their family. And I have to imagine that that was a source of deep, deep pain for them. That was a deep wound for them. There are many ways in which the, the darkness of this broken world looms over our lives. There are spiritual difficulties. We have physical difficulties. We have financial difficulties, emotional, all kinds of things. But, but I tell you, and some of you know this all too well from personal experience, that the difficulty, the woundedness, the darkness that seems to loom over you when you are struggling with infertility is of a depth and kind that is almost unmatched. It is a deep wound and a heartache, is it not? And you think to yourself, man, I, I feel like I've done all the right things. I feel like I'm a, I'm a good enough person. Look at all these other weirdos who have kids, and why can't I? You think these things. Why do they get one and I don't? Where is God? He feels so absent and so far away, and that's the wound that they are carrying. But now what we know is that God hears that cry, and he decides to fold their hurt and their story into his story of how he's saving the entire world through the impending birth of Jesus. And this is what Luke says. An angel, Gabriel, visits Zechariah and says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. This is beautiful. For your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. I love that. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. God decides to grant them a gift of a son, and God's promise is that he would use this son to help prepare the way for the birth of Jesus, which would happen just some six months later. What we learn from this moment is not just the sequence of events in the birth of John the Baptist, but what we learn in this moment is something of the nature and character of God and how he interacts and how he works with all of us. What I'm about to say is a simple truth, but it's a, 
It's a profound and easily overlooked one. What we believe as people of faith is that God is not only real, of course, but that God knows the darkness that we wrestle with, the wounds that we carry. He sees the struggle that we have. He hears us when we call, and he answers us. He knows, he sees, he hears, and he answers. Now, will he always answer in precisely the way that we want? No. But does he always answer? Yes, he does. Now, John and uh, Elizabeth, rather, and Zechariah got exactly what they wanted. They wanted a child. But, but notice that the answer to their prayer, their deep longing for a child, was, was ultimately a part of God's greater will for this world. He was working this plan to send the Savior into the world, and he decided to fold their longing for a child, their wound, their hurt, into that plan. And so he, he answered their prayer according to his larger will for the world. What we believe is that God, God always answers our prayers in a way that works for his will. It may not be what we want all the time, but he always answers our prayers. And boy, this sounds like cold comfort, but sometimes the answer is no, but that is an answer, isn't it? But God always answers our prayers in a way that works according to his grand and good will, in a way that brings glory to his name and blessing to as many people as possible, whether we can see that blessing or not. We are reminded of an important truth. God knows, God sees, God hears, and God answers. If you are here today and you feel like your wounds are deep right now, if you feel like the darkness of this broken world is looming heavy over you right now. My question for you is this, do you believe that God knows? And do you believe that he sees and that he hears you and he answers you when you cry? I hope that you do, because he does. And we see that in the arrival of John the Baptist, the answer to one couple's prayers. But ultimately, we see that in the arrival of Jesus Christ, who is the response to the whole of humanity's great need and our collective prayer for someone to come and rescue us from this body of death and this broken world. God sees, God hears, and God answers. Now, as Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting for John to be born. John, uh, rather, Zechariah is quiet. He, he's, he's, he's not quiet of his own choosing. God actually makes Zechariah mute. You see, when the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, you're going to have a kid, John's first response wasn't, oh, I knew you'd come through God. <laughs> no, his response was one of doubt and disbelief. And so God, in order to teach him and all of us a lesson, he he, he strikes Zechariah as mute. He can't say a word until the baby is born. And, and the reason for this is pretty obvious. He, he wants Zechariah to sit back and be quiet and just watch God keep his promise. Watch God work. And of course, God keeps the promise. John is born. Eight days after he's born, he's to be circumcised, which is also the time when they would officially name the child. And so it's the first time that the family and friends gather around this, this couple and their, their miracle baby. And everybody's wondering, what will they name the child? They expect him to name him like Zechariah Jr. Or the na name him after some other kind of patriarch in the family line. But instead, Elizabeth's like, no, 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 we made a deal with the angel. 
And the people are like, deal with the angel. And then they pivot over to Zechariah. And like, what is she talking about? And he takes a, a tablet of some sort and he writes down. He says, his name will be John. And at that moment, Zechariah is able to finally speak. After nine months, he's able to speak. Because what that symbolized, what that signified was, was him believing the promise of God. When he says, yes, I will name this miracle child John. It's, it's Zechariah's way of saying, I get it. This is all you. You did this. This is your plan. This is your kid. This is your gift to me. And then his mouth is opened. And listen to what he says. He says this, starting now in verse 64. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the first chance in nine months that Zechariah has to speak. What would your first words be after nine months of silence? His first words, Luke says, are to give God praise. His first instinct, his first impulse is to give God credit, give God glory for this miracle of this child being born, of God keeping this promise. And the family and friends in attendance are all left in awe and they walk away talking about what God has worked in this family's hurt. What God has done in Zechariah and Elizabeth's woundedness, how he's touched them and blessed them and given this incredible gift to them. Their their story shines as this light to family and friends who hear Zechariah say, this is all God. This is all God. If you are here as a person of faith, you and I, we, we, have, we have more opportunities than we tend to realize to do the exact same thing. I'm certain that over the course of your life, you have seen God answer prayers in unexpected ways. You have seen him respond to your need in ways that you never would have anticipated, perhaps never would have chosen, but it's clear God has been at work. Or after years and given the gift of hindsight, you're able to look back on your life and see the hand of God at work. In terrible times, in difficult times, in times when the wound was deep and the darkness was heavy, you can now, years removed, through the lens of faith, say, well, well actually, that, that was God at work doing something that I never could have predicted, but now I would not change. He was, he was at work in a powerful way. He gave me this gift. He taught me this lesson. He led me ultimately to this good place. You can see it now. And when you have that moment where the light bulb comes on and you're able to see how, how God has been at work in your woundedness and in your darkness and in your struggle, where you're able to see how God has been good to you, even though life has been hard for you, you have the opportunity to then speak the greatness of God to the people around you. That's the opportunity. And very often we don't take it. The light bulb comes on and we go, oh, God's been good to me. But then it stops right there and we share it with nobody. Now, what I'm not saying is that you've got to become that guy who walks up to the front of the church and is like, Pastor, I have a testimony. May I speak? You don't have to be that person. You don't have to make like a, TikTok, a series of TikTok videos about how God worked in your life. If you want to, go for it. But go for it. Here's what it looks like. There are people around you who need to know how God has been at work in your woundedness and your darkness because it's going to shine a light into theirs. And these are people that you live life with, that it's easy to have conversations with. 
Does your spouse know that you believe God has ultimately been faithful to the two of you, even though there's been hardship between you? Do do your kids know about about how God brought something something good out of something bad, how he he gave you a blessing by leading you through a burden? Do do, do your kids know that that story that you've kept to yourself? Does does your coworker who's got a mountain of troubles all his own, does, does he know your story of God's goodness and faithfulness in your time of darkness and in your deep woundedness? Do they know at all? One of the questions that I think it's good for people of faith to to try and instinctively ask, whenever the light bulb comes on and they go, oh, God's been good to me, ask this question, who around me needs to hear of the goodness that God has shown to me? Who around me, in close proximity to me, needs to hear of the goodness that God has shown to me? Not not in a braggadocious way, not in an arrogant way of like, look, God's been so good to me, better than he is to you, let's hear about it. Not that way but in an honest way that just shines a light for them to say, see, God God sees and God hears and God answers. He's shown a light into my wounds and, and I offer it as a light to yours so, so that you can know who he is and, and what he can do. You see, one of the things that we can't lose sight of is this, that whenever God gives a gift to his people, He never intends that gift to stay in the hands of his people. If God gives you the gift of being able to see how he's been good to you in unexpected, beautiful, wonderful ways, if he gives you the gift of being able to see that, then he gives that to you so that you may pass that on to somebody else. Who can you share it with? (laughs) Zechariah told his whole family, this right here, This was all God. But but he continued. Once the guy got talking, he would not stop. He continued. He he started to to do what what Luke calls prophesying. He he drew a line not just from, from, from their miraculous gift of a child to God's goodness for them, but he he drew a line to what God was going to accomplish for the entire world in Jesus Christ. He, he, He took it one step further. He said, Yes, there is a light shining from God onto us as he answered our prayer and gave us this child. But we have been given this gift to shine a light back on what he is ultimately doing in Jesus Christ. What he's done for us is meant to be a light back to what he's trying to, what he's going to accomplish through Jesus Christ. Listen to what Zechariah says. Here's just a sampling of his long prophecy. He says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed, rescued his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's, he's looking forward to the birth of Jesus, which was still a handful of months away. But he's saying, God has answered the cry of all humanity, not just my cry for a child. He's answered the cry for all of humanity by sending this person who's born of the line of the servant David. And he did it so that we should be saved from our enemies, that we might serve him without fear, meaning we might serve him and love him, knowing because he sent Jesus that we are seen, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have a future. There is no fear. I know that God is for me because he sent his son Jesus Christ to me. And now he pivots to his child, John, who's in his arms, and he says this. He says, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
You'll be the one who prepares the way for Jesus. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, to give light to those who sit in the darkness. Zechariah uses the goodness of God shown to him to shine a light on the goodness of God to the whole world in Jesus Christ. And I would argue that, that again, the same opportunity sits in front of us. That as people of faith, perhaps part of God's ultimate grand mysterious agenda is, is not just to shine a light into your hurt and to show you that he sees you and loves you and answer your prayers, but, but for you to then pivot and use that as a way to shine a light onto what God is ultimately doing in Jesus Christ. And I know it sounds, you know, intimidating or maybe even scary to you to say, well, I'm, I'm going to have a conversation about Jesus with the people around me. Yes, you can do it. it. It sounds something like this. Man, if you think that what he did for me in this particular instance is incredible, if you, if you think the, the long-awaited child that we finally received is incredible, if you think the, the, the lesson that he taught me going through that difficulty is incredible, if you think the opportunity that he gave me on the other side of that, of that burden that was upon me, if you, if you think that is incredible, then, then wait till you hear about what he has done for you and for all of us in Jesus Christ. Because he has, he has seen our collective need and he has answered it. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for every sin. In Jesus Christ, there is life after every death. In Jesus Christ, uh, there is a future no matter your past. In Jesus Christ, there is mercy no matter the shame that you carry. Man, you are going to be blown away by what is done for you in Jesus Christ. Zechariah takes the opportunity to take the light that was shone on him and his wife and his newborn child and to shine it onto the greater light of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And the opportunity is the same, especially at this time of year, for you and me. I spent last week in Helsinki, Finland, of all places. And it's, it's a beautiful part of the world if you've, if you've never been. But if you don't know your geography, it is, uh, it is very, very far north. Uh, we, we were there last week, and the sun would rise just after 9 a.m., and it would set at 3 p.m., so about five hours of daylight, and the daylight wasn't all that light. And I was asking one of our hosts who was there, I was asking them, um, uh, how do you deal with this, this, this darkness all the time? And his response was, he looked at me and said, oh, this isn't, this is nothing. Come back in December. It's way worse. And, and it's true, you know, the, the winter solstice is December 21st or 22nd, something, something like that. And that's when it's at its darkest, where there, there is almost no daylight at all. And I thought to myself, I don't know how you do this. But then the other thought that crossed my mind is this. Boy, Christmas comes at a perfect time for them. Like quite literally, just a couple of days after the darkest day of the entire year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And the bright lights of that celebration are at their brightest on trees and, and in homes and in churches. And boy, that is just in time. It is a declaration of hope. I mean, it really is. Not just that, that Jesus is bringing this light into our collective human darkness in this broken world, but it is a declaration of hope that, look, light is coming. This is the darkest moment, but the light still shines. And from this moment forward, it's only going to get brighter. 
The declaration of hope in a dark place. This analogy is trite, but it's true. There are people in your life for whom the sun rises late and sets too soon. There are people in your life for whom the dark days are too long. And they, they need a, a, like a bright light to shine in. What they need is, is not just for you to decorate your trees with 70 million variations of LED color. What, what they need is not just for you to decorate your home, although, although we do that. But, but, but what they need is this. What they need is, is for someone to tell them, show them, embody them, invite them to a place that can remind them that, that God knows the darkness that we deal with that he, he sees the struggles that we have, he hears and he answers when we cry. There are people in our life who need someone, you, to shine that light. And it could be as simple as just inviting that person here throughout the, the month of December on, on Christmas Eve and, and letting us shine that light for you to them. But if God has given you the blessing of, of shining a light into your woundedness and showing you how he's been good to you all along, then, then, then his desire is for you to not leave that with you, but to share that with somebody else and, and point it ultimately to Jesus so that they might see the bright light that shines for all of us. God is at work in your wounds to shine a light of his goodness to you, but of his goodness to all of us in Jesus Christ, to the people around you. That, that's what he's at work, and that's what he's doing. And I know you think, well, where do I begin? Where do I begin? But think of it like this. It's just as simple as this. Think of it like this. All you're really saying to somebody is this. Let's go look at the lights. And at this time of year when it's really dark and it's a little cold, at Christmas time, everybody wants to see the light. So shine. Amen.